This is Resist and Renew. The UK-based podcast about social movements. What we're fighting for, why, and how it all happens. The hosts of the show are... Me, Kat. Uh, me, Sammy. And me, Ali. I'm recording this now, baby. Shit, it's a podcast! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to uh, the Resist and Renew podcast. Uh, we are here today with... Uh, a number of people from Youth for Climate Leeds. Uh, Youth for Climate Leeds uh, was a group that was founded in early 2019 as part of the global um, Youth Strike for Climate and Fridays for the Future movement and is run by young people. And why don't you introduce yourselves? Uh, Martha, do you want to go first? Uh, hi, I'm Martha. Um, I'm part of Youth for Climate Leeds. Um, I've been part of this group since 2019. And um obviously we're all incredibly passionate about climate justice and social justice um as part of the group great uh naomi um yeah so hi i'm naomi i'm part of youth for climate leads as well um so i've been kind of involved with the climate movement more formally with like different organizations and companies for a while and then in like early march 2021 i've become more involved with like the organizing um so ever since then i've been organizing weekly Amazing, good stuff. Uh, and Nell. Hiya, yeah, I'm Nell. Um, I've been involved in Youth for Climate Lead since I think March 2019, so like uh, early days. Um, and it's been a big part of my life ever since. <laughs> Great. Okay, so starting us off, um, what is the political context that you're organising in? Could you tell us a little bit about that? So um, Youth for Climate Leads is basically part of this global reaction to government's lack of um, lack of policy making towards this incredible crisis that we face at the moment, um, and specifically the strikes are obviously um, they're inspired by um, the wider Fridays for Future movement that began with Greta Thunberg. So th- it's all inspirational from that, um, and we. We strike about every few months and we try to put pressure on the government to make policy that um, that deals with climate change and to empower young people within Leeds within that context as well. Great, thank you. Um, so could you maybe say a little bit about, you, you said, I can't remember exactly the wording, but something around like resistance to like government inaction or whatever. Could you say a little bit about like that and how you understand that? Like what? What do you think? What do you think's going on? Like, why do you feel like this, the kind of stuff you're doing, is a good, a good tactic? So our our kind of ways that we organise are through civil disobedience, and we encourage uh, young people to strike from education in a kind of disturbance, but a self-inflicted disturbance. So a lot of the criticisms that can come to um, non-violent, like non-violent direct action, is that you're inflicted on other people. But this is a a self-sacrificing move because we are so frustrated with the government and how climate change just doesn't seem to be at the top of their priority, no matter how much talking they do. Um, I, mean, I mean, if you look at the facts in terms of of climate change and where we are now, I mean, we are currently in the sixth mass extinction. A third of coral reefs have have died out already. It's an incredibly important issue and our lives depend on it. So we'll strike and we'll carry on striking until the government decide to really take it seriously. And that's in the context also of COP26 happening later this year and us wanting to really get something material out of that because the agreements made so far, like the Paris 2015 Accord, they didn't go far enough. So we'll keep on pushing until we get what we want. Absolutely. Um, yeah, um, you mentioned like some of the scale of the, the crisis around climate, uh, the sixth mass extinction that's happening. It's obviously with the latest IPCC reports, it's becoming more and more clear that we're heading in a really bad direction. And anyone feel free to come in and, on this one. like. What do you see as the cause of the crisis? Like, is it just, like you said, that governments aren't doing anything? Or what, what else is like underlying 
the climate crisis for for you all in your group? Firstly, I think um, it's like this idea of like selfishness and greed that's been perpetuated. Uh, like the world's, I don't know, the world's quite greedy. Um, everyone's, I think there's a lot of selfishness going on. Like even people in like our first world and in inverted commas, sort of like Western countries talk about the climate crisis and then still expect so much like material goods and digital goods without realizing that like if we if we like this ideal world that we're fighting for we wouldn't have all this stuff we wouldn't have like i don't think we'd have a laptop each we wouldn't have all this equipment that we're doing this podcast with i wouldn't be in this like nice university room with all these nice amenities um but i you know in in an ideal world we would we'd still be happy and healthy and have the things that we need we just have less of these luxuries that we have today because they should be given to people who don't have anything to sort of like even out the playing field. And the other thing I think is, um, I can't remember what the question was. I was going to, I was going to go on about the media though, like how, um, uh, like a cause of the climate crisis, I think is that people are being kind of, um, I don't know, people don't believe it because like, I don't know, like tabloid media, controlled by i don't know rupert murdoch and stuff like that and also facebook um have put they've invested like billions in sort of like sort of you know creating questions and quite you know the creating phrasing and wording that makes people question the climate crisis um so they you know they i think they came up with the term global warming because warming's like a nice word it has nice connotations and they put a lot of money into sort of well, psychological stuff um and using wording that makes people question its legitimacy as a scientific fact. So even today, people think, you know, they think there's a scientific debate. I've talked to people who think, oh, well, it's not proven. You know, scientists are, you know, they, they don't they don't agree on it. And it's like, no, they do. Like 99% of them agree. So, yeah, um, those are the two things, I think, the media and just like this sort of selfish attitude that we have. I would, yeah, I would just adding on to Nell's point that, the reason a lot of the, the reason we're here because we're all, all of the country's economies well the vast majority of them are based on neoliberalism which is just this constant desire for growth and to be to build more and to make more money and it prioritizes um as boris johnson said the other day wage growth over life expectancy and and cancer and cancer recovery rates. It's it's this whole system which is completely rigged to keep on making tons of money and and ruin the environment because the environment you cannot put a price on it. But that is the that's the exact issue that you can't put a price on um, cutting down a tree, but you can make a profit from it. So when you're when you're in this economy that rewards irresponsible behaviour. Um, you're going to end up in a climate crisis, and here and here we are, and we've been. And then they talk about how they can balance solving the climate crisis with with neoliberalism, as if we haven't been trying to do that for the last thirty years and completely failed. We've com- we've completely failed. Our emissions are set to rise by twelve percent in the next ten years. So this this you cannot have solving the climate crisis and and capitalism unfortunately because it, if it has a constant desire for growth on a lim- uh, on a planet with limited resources then you can't balance the two so it's it, the issue is based around an around an economic system that just does not coincide with ecological justice unfortunately yeah i think that's i think those are all some really good points i think the thing that um economists talk about is perverse incentives right like living in a a structure which basically encourages behavior which is ecocidal <laughs> and doesn't encourage the kind of behaviors uh, and ways of relating to each other which would lead to a life which is like still good and happy but maybe with less stuff like you were saying before uh, or at least for some of us probably we don't need as much stuff as we have um amazing thank you yeah great thank you for that background um You've already mentioned a bit about like what what the Youth for Climate group does in Leeds, but Naomi, do you want to like expand on that and tell us like yeah what what it is to be in this group and what kind of things you're working on and how how you do it? Um, yeah, so obviously Martha mentioned briefly a bit about it. So like we've kind of formed from the youth 
Strike for Climate Movement, which is kind of inspired by Greta Thunberg, as um, Martha said, which is kind of like obviously grown to this massive global movement called Fridays for Future. Um, but like the Leeds Youth Strike for Climate has kind of changed over the past years with lockdowns and COVID and everything. So it's changed from like less of a youth strike movement to like this youth for climate movement, which you know gives people the option of striking if they want to and being involved in civil disobedience, but also putting like at the heart of our work, like improving education, climate education, racial justice education and things like that. We do have um, like key like principles. So obviously we believe in youth voices and that they're vital for young people. And then um, like we want to use our experience in climate activism and youth empowerment just to just to move that on to not only just like climate change, but kind of this whole climate justice movement and racial justice, which I think is definitely more clear in some of our more recent actions as we've come out of lockdowns. Um, I mean, on the 24th of September, we had a strike, which was um, co-hosted by Black Lives Matter Leeds. So you can definitely see in our work, like a change in focus from this kind of like climate change we want to strike, but also like this empowerment of young people and making sure that everything's accessible and safe for people to share their youth voices and things like that. Um, yeah, that's that's what I can think of. Amazing. Um, so I I was involved in like a lot of climate stuff a few years ago through like anti-aviation struggles around the expansion of Heathrow and Plain Stupid. And like as a person of color in the climate movement, it feels super white and it feels like a lot of like the things that you're talking about around climate justice and the links between climate and racial justice haven't been there so that's really encouraging for me to hear that can you talk about about like how those links have come about and like why why you think those links are important because that i totally agree and i just like really like to hear how that came about yeah um well i mean for me obviously i'm quite like i'm a newer member of youth strike climate but like i've done a lot of work with different organizations um and you know when you when you join the cause you can just see like the type of demographic it's very kind of kind of this like white space. So I think a lot of it's come from Youth for Climate kind of observing spaces, um, kind of looking at Leeds and like the varying cultures around Leeds and just making sure that we celebrate everyone and make sure that all our work, you know, puts the heart of the people rather than, you know, this specific typical kind of like white percentage who are represented enough as it is and making sure that we have an accessible and open space for people to come in and participate wherever they can and whenever they want. Amazing. Um, yeah, Nell, do you want to add something? Um, yeah, in terms of um, climate change and racism as well, um, I went to a really interesting call. I think it was a little while ago now, but it was sort of on the sort of, I don't know, um, yeah, on the on the like the cause of those two issues are very very like interlinked more than you'd think. Um, in that it's this yeah like Martha's on about neoliberalism, which reached from colonialism and capitalism. Um, this idea of like exploiting both people and the land was all what colonialism was about, um, and that's sort of like where racism and sort of a load of environmental issues are really sort of like stemmed from. Or the one you know those issues that we see today, a loads of them stem from colonialism. Um, and then the other huge link between um, racial injustice and climate injustice is like what who climate change will affect. So you've we've seen with COVID that um, big issues like this, that you know, COVID has impacted the most vulnerable people already. Like if you look at how COVID's affected, say India compared to the UK, um, it's always the poorest people who are hit the hardest. Um, and it's often the poorest people, almost like disadvantaged, that you don't, they've not caused any of this issue. Like, it's not their fault at all. So with climate change, you know, it's going to displace people from the coast or displace, you know, it's going to affect people who don't have access to healthcare and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's like the cause, the cause, both the cause and the effects, basically, of climate change is interlinked with racial justice is what I'm trying to get at. No, absolutely. And... Those links are like clear and important, but they're also muddied by like some of the things that you were talking about before about the media They and like the, the narratives around climate change. It's like very uh, 
push it onto like the scientific thing of like carbon and parts per million and all that like very dry things but what you were saying before around colonialism and capitalism and the the people who are going to be affected by things a lot of that is about like who counts as people who people which people do we value and like if we valued all people the same we wouldn't be able to like exploit them and if we valued nature as much as we valued ourselves then we wouldn't be able to exploit nature either and like i feel like those those things are really really interlinked uh, so yeah thanks for for sharing that sammy do you want to come in with the next one uh yeah sure thank you so it would be really great if you could talk a little bit more about like what kind of things you're focusing on in your work and like why you why you're focusing on those things you mentioned already a little bit of a shift maybe away from striking as much being the core focus because of covid but if you could just talk a little bit more about like what kind of things you're 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 like you're focusing on as a group and i guess maybe if possible like a little bit about how your group is structured i think you mentioned like you have like regular meetings and like if you could talk a little bit about that that would be great yeah so structurally we're sort of very chaotic because we're a bunch of teenagers um we try to be kind of non-hierarchical um and like alternate roles a little bit because in any for example like the note taker of a meeting will have that you know they you know they're the ones taking the notes they can like emphasize the parts they want to even though they try not to um there's going to be some bit of bias so we try and rotate roles but um don't, don't do a great to do a great job at that because we do kind of fall into place but i guess that um that helps efficiency because you sort of you get better at a certain role um and yeah structurally we're also trying to sort of improve ourselves about safeguarding and stuff because we were all under 18 but obviously now that we've got people ranging i'm 19 um and my friend who's still in sort of will be continuing youth for climate for longer than me which will be like 20 but we'll be working with 15 year olds so we're kind of going to start looking into safeguarding and things like that and also start looking into some um protective measures in place as well to make sure that people who come into the space have, yeah have a bit of a protection and someone to go to if something goes wrong if someone says something racist to them if someone says something sexist or ableist there's we have like some structural something something structural in place so, so there'll be repercussions um but at the moment it's we're, we're, li we're a little bit chaotic but you know i think everyone is these days um yeah in terms of our focus um we're kind of focusing on improving accessibility at the moment um, which is why we teamed up with BLM for our last strike. And um, we really tried to sort of like, sort of talk about each other's messages and try and like combine the two. Cause you know, we were saying that such like interlinked causes and we kind of want to spread that idea. Um, and other things we do to increase accessibility. We had this idea that if you're just striking, then you're just going to get the same people striking because if somebody can't strike for whatever reason, they won't be able to come, they won't be able to get involved. So we're trying to do like, slightly more of a range of actions so we did like guerrilla gardening which is where you sort of spread greenery into concrete places where like plant pots and stuff um it was really cute it was a really fun day um and like craftivism as well banner making arty stuff we did like an online letter writing workshop for um you know the kill the bill campaign we um uh tried to support that by um yeah, doing like a letter writing, like an MP letter writing workshop and did a little bit of research into um, how you can, you know, how to best like persuade an MP, how to do it politely, did a bit of research into their campaign. Um, so hopefully that means that like more people can join in because they have something that suits them, if that makes sense. So yeah, that's um, that's our focus at the moment. Um, also, uh, pre-COVID, we... It was just before, um, I think it was in February 2020, so right before COVID started, we also put on a, um, it was like a, it was like a fundraiser slash kind of gig at this amazing local venue called Wharf Chambers, um, who put on great stuff all the time, um, particularly around um, social justice issues. And we got local bands and performative arts to come. And that was also in reaction to kind of our frustration with a lack of youth-oriented places for people to go um, and how, for example, say with austerity measures, the amount of youth centres have really, really closed and for, for youth to be able to do things nowadays, they have to pay a huge amount of money and that really impacts people so negatively. Uh, amazing, thank you. 
uh, Martha. And yeah, I think that like the need for like just spaces for young people to exist when so many youth centers have been shut is just like such a crucial thing. It's really interesting that you've built that into your uh, plans now. Did you want to? Yeah, I was just going to chip in that I think the teenager demographic in particular is one that's been hit hardest because you still get like play areas and stuff with children under 12 and, you know, sort of like school clubs and stuff like that. But once you get to the age of like sort of 13, 13 to 18, there's really not a lot. Um, you can like, I don't know, what, like what what do, what do kids that age do? They just sort of like hang about. There's nothing for them to do. So, yeah, it's, it's a shame. It really is a shame. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, th- a thought came to my mind um, when you were all talking around um, how you discussed like the like the that kind of linking up that you did with BLM leads. I think that's a really interesting one because I think there's there's often broadly like kind of two approaches that groups will take when they if they're like if they notice that they tend to have like drawn from a certain community and so for example like they're quite a white group in a place that is not necessarily like a super white area or things like that um and one of them which it sounds like isn't the one that you've taken um is people will talk about like diversifying the group and like trying to bring more people in that like don't match the demographics of the people in the group and then there's like another broad approach which is around kind of like partnering and working with and in solidarity with other groups that you feel like represent the kind of like where you feel like maybe some of the areas you're not as strong on in your group are and it sounds like you leaned more to like the second one of those two things in terms of like teaming up with blm leads like is that that this is maybe an assumption of mine so please do tell me off if uh if that's off base but i think that's i think it's a really interesting one and like I'd be really interested to know, like, what what was the thought process that like led to that action? Like, how did that how did that come about? How did you decide that that was a thing you're going to do and like work with BLM leads? Is that a thing that anybody would be happy to speak to? Yeah, I mean, we we already had links with BLM leads from Marvina Newton. She sort of attends some of our meetings, and we've been working with her since sort of day dot really. Um, and she's one of the co-founders of BLM Leads, so that really that was kind of one of the main reasons. Um, but also just the fact that we kind of, as a group, all had this idea that the two issues are very interlinked. So we kind of, yeah, we wanted to team up. Um, and yeah, it is, it is fair to say that we kind of went down that pathway of sort of working in solidarity rather than trying to draw people in, because you know, just I don't know, like like would would you feel comfortable going into a space where everyone's different to you? Probably not, and like we 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 don't want our space to be all white, but like I don't, you don't want to sort of I don't know you don't want to like draw people in like they're like their assets. Do you know what I mean? It just feels a little bit mean. Um, but at the same time, it would be great to have a more diverse group because then you have such a you'd have a much broader range of perspectives and ideas and sort of thoughts and connections going on. Um, but yeah, um, so what we're going to try and do is sort of think about our group structurally to try and make it a safer place for different people to join. Um, so people, you know, if they're from like black, if they're black or brown, can come in and know that they'll be protected structurally in some sort of way. And hopefully that will um, help in the long run, sort of diversify our group a bit. I think we used to be more diverse. And then I guess it must, I don't know, I think there must have been like a process of like de-diversification going on. I think, I think if we weren't, in early days, I don't think we were as aware about racial justice and stuff. This was like pre-BLM. Well, it wasn't pre-BLM, but it's pre the resurgence of BLM, pre-George Floyd. And it totally wasn't in my mind. So, like, I don't know if I, I as a person talked over, like, brown members of our group. I hope I didn't, but, you, you know, you don't know, do you? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of, I don't know if I can swear, but it's a bit, it's a bit shit, really. Um, but I hope we can sort of... Yeah, make make our group better, better allies, and sort of improve improve the way we work a little bit more. Uh, no, thanks. I really, I really appreciate that answer, and I think, like, I think, I mean, I don't, I don't know, I don't know your group in detail, right? Like, I'm not, I don't live in Leeds, I'm not part of your group, but like, I, I think that it sounds like from at least my perspective that's kind of broadly maybe like the ideas are on the right track in the sense of like often when the when there are these questions right often there's both like what can we do on like the individual level and then what can we do on like the kind of structural level of the group and like it sounds like you're kind of doing things on both of those levels you're doing stuff in terms of like as individuals you're like 
um thinking of like who you can collaborate with and like how you can like strengthen and like work in solidarity with other groups that you feel aligned with and you're thinking about like what are the structures of your group because it seems like there has been some process of like uh de-diversification which i'm not sure if i've encountered as a word before but it's a really useful one and i will use in the future like in terms of like that how that looks and how there were people in your group before it's not that they didn't turn up but it's that they've gone why did they go and that kind of stuff so like i mean it sounds like it sounds like there are some good questions that you're wrestling with i guess it's an observation i'd make as a as an outsider so that's always good to know um ali back over to you i feel like we're already getting into this kind of like group dynamics questions and values um but it would be great to hear a bit more about like how you hold some values as a group how do they play out internally so like you know we've, we've had interviews around uh prison abolition for example and a, a thing that they would talk about is like transformative justice instead of punitive justice so like how do we uh, treat each other with care internally as, in, as well as like not wanting to punish each other externally and rely on like policing so like yeah is there any values um in youth for climate strike uh, you've <laughs> forgetting your name youth for climate leads that uh externally are really important that you also try and practice internally um so we're definitely one of our obviously key values is is social justice and this kind of manifests itself in in various ways so for example with our recent um strike in collaboration with blm leads um in solidarity with um, blm leads we chose not to notify the police um to align with um their belief and whether the police actually really protect us. Um, and that was just a, a demonstration, I don't know of the, I, I'm, I don't really know what I'm saying, but we've also worked with like various other groups, for example, like we did a, a feast in the street in the summer where we worked with other climate groups, um, such as uh, Galba, which is against the Leeds Bradford Airport expansion, Care for Calais, which deal with migrants from um, that have come over to the UK from Calais and housed in Leeds and the COP26 coalition. So I think we just strive towards a kind of coalition of groups within Leeds. Amazing. I think we might talk a bit more about yeah that coalition building later. Um, does anyone else want to speak a bit more about the the broader picture of like uh that how you embed values internally that are important externally I, I feel like you've all mentioned like accessibility and like empowering youth um as important things for your group and i feel like it sounds like you're putting effort into like practical ways of making that possible so it'd be great to hear a bit more detail around how those practicalities work out yeah well funnily enough we had like you know once we were all opening up after covid there was this huge stupid ongoing debate of whether we should go back in person or not because we have a few autistic people in our group who would prefer it online but then everyone else prefers it in person so it was a very like in terms of accessibility that conversation went on for like way too long and in the end we've we've sort of um got a bit of a balance going on at the moment where we do online meetings um, for three weeks and then on the fourth week we'll have an in-person meeting which is like the in-person one of the month and it's a little it's quite exciting um so yeah that's one that's one way that we're sort of internalizing our outward values um let me think what else i suppose like internal communications like we've been a little bit rubbish with those um but we've sort of tried more recently to sort of um make sure that every single person who might be attending a meeting knows when the meeting is, which sounds like a very low bar, but um, we often, because of COVID and stuff and everything's all up in the air, rather than having like a regular, we used to have, we basically we used to have like a regular time that we'd meet, but now it's a little bit more chaotic. So um, yeah, we try and make sure that everyone knows when the meeting is. Um, maybe, I don't know, that's, that's a pretty low bar for accessibility. You can cut that out if you want to, but if, it, if, it, if the conversation flows on from it, then keep it in. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's <laughs> it's not a bar that not everyone always meets. So I think like keeping keeping that in is fine. Um...
Yeah, Sammy, do you want to move us on to the next piece here? Um, yeah, I just, um, I guess I wanted to reflect, like, on the, the way that you framed that, like, you had a lot of internal discussions around, like, whether to do stuff, like, online or offline. And I think that's not, I think for those things, it can all, it can often feel like a, like a decision that should be simple, right? So it feels like something that it shouldn't take lots of time to chat about. But I feel like in practice, it is a thing that does speak to like some quite fundamental values around like accessibility and around like safety and different people's like vulnerabilities to COVID and all this kind of stuff. So I think like, it sounds like the, like the plan that you've come up with, which is like, you're going to have a, like, you're still going to keep a lot of your meetings online, but you are going to have some meetings offline too, to try and like, make sure that everybody's getting some of the needs they want met. Feels like a pretty like, um, sophisticated compromise, I guess. And like, I think those kind of things, uh, are things that are having to happen a lot more in groups nowadays when people are trying to like, especially given the lack of like, there's not much structural formal high up guidance on like how to do things safely or well government guidance is basically like everyone should just all die or everyone should go back to work generally and the nuance just gets totally disappeared so i think it's it's all groups end up having to struggle with those questions themselves and so like just to reflect on like it is it doesn't always feel like a valuesy thing but i think it's important that you listed it in that question because i do think it is a valuesy thing um and I did actually have a follow up question on that on the on the chat alley if that's okay before we move on to uh on to the final question, which is around you mentioned that you do a lot of work with like like the cop twenty six coalition and like b l m leads and care for Calais and groups like that, and you said a little bit about like trying to work in like a broad maybe like informal coalition of like groups across leads and stuff and i'm one i'm wondering why that is like why do you feel like that is a thing that is useful for you to do why do you think that it's good to work in like a coalition of lots of different local groups what's that what's the idea behind that um well a lot of it's kind of just been i don't really know it's just kind of happened um uh i think there's just at the end of the day it's better to just work together it's 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 far more effective to achieve everyone's goals of of this kind of social justice and climate justice that for everyone just to to come together with that um i mean for example like me and naomi recently where it was a kind of cross of the galba movement within leeds which is against the leeds bradford airport expansion and um youth for climate where there were a few a few of us were representatives and went down to london as uh, on behalf of Youth for Climate with Galba to deliver this petition against the expansion of Leeds Bradford Airport and to call um, Robert Jenrick into calling an inquiry. Um, so that was just like, of just they thought it'd be more effective for, for youth representatives to go down and deliver it. So it's, it's all about how we best think that these goals can be achieved and um, utilising each other's strengths to, to do that. Yeah, so kind of just to follow on from what Martha said, I think also, obviously due to the nature of us being like busy students, a lot of us are like college or university level age now. Um, I think just kind of like logistically and kind of, I don't want to say resources, but basically resources wise, you know, we do often need like the support, the guidance that you get from these other organisations, just to the, them being having more like years behind them experience wise and having the different networks it means that you know when groups do um visible actions or um put on workshops or something like that it means you can come together and have this kind of like bigger uh, bigger group a kind of a wider focus but also like different groups like blm leave uh, leads galba or um some like XR families, it means when they come together, they can kind of, you know, celebrate as a larger group, but kind of help each other out on a particular aim, which I think, especially in Leeds, is such a nice atmosphere. Like, I'm not sure about other cities, but kind of the activism network in Leeds is quite strong at the moment, you know, communicating with each other. And I don't know if XR families one week puts on a picnic or something, it's always nice to go and kind of see the other groups participate and help out. Amazing. Thank you. No, I think that's really, it's really, it's really, uh, 
good to know like how those things are working in other places because like yeah i'm not i'm not based in Leeds, so that's really helpful to share thank you um so yeah if we can now move on to um the question of like what can people do if they're inspired by what they've heard you talking about so i think kind of a big part of the climate and climate movement in the uk is the kind of youth strike for climate obviously we're youth for climate now but if you look at i don't know oxford or london or manchester there's so many groups similar to ours having like similar aims and similar approaches that you can kind of so easily join whether you're a young person or kind of an older adult like recently we did um our recent kind of event not we didn't necessarily call it a strike um, we had the support of people of varying ages. So whether kind of you're a young person, kind of teenagers who wants to come weekly to meetings and help organise, you know, there's plenty of kind of opportunities to do that globally, um, no, nationally in kind of regional groups. But also if you're an adult and you want to come like first aid or steward on events, I think, you know, getting in contact with your local group is such a like, simple way to do that. And it doesn't necessarily take up much of your time either. And then also, I think if you're inspired by what you've heard, it kind of, not necessarily to take direct action, which of course we would love you to do, but also in your, like your everyday lives, you know, these choices that you make daily, you know, just kind of check yourself, check your privilege when you're, you know, in varying spaces or from a like climate change and environmental perspective, you know, how is your impact influencing our environment or our surroundings? Obviously, but, acknowledging the fact that you know you're not a, you're not to blame for this climate change issue yeah but also whilst we want government and corporational change it's also just making sure it's individuals and you kind of reflect your beliefs and kind of portray what you want in the, for the future yeah just following in um from what Mamie said about um doing what you can on an individual level but realizing you're not to blame um i just totally want to second that like um if you want you know if you want to make real change obviously like make change in your personal life go vegan you know buy buy less new things always buy second hand um but like if you re- if you really really want to make change you, you like you need to join a group you, you know like we we're talking before about groups groups themselves joining together into a larger group like coalitions and stuff it's the same on an individual level like if you join with other human beings you have such a bigger impact like it's all about networks, isn't it? Like the, the more the more people join up and like work on something together, just the bigger and better it will be. So, um, yeah, if you want to make change, um, team up with someone else. That seems like a good uh, a good sentiment to to close it out on. Um, so thank you. Um, and there are some there's some other questions that have like come to my mind in the course of the thing but there's not really been a great a great point to ask them so would you mind if if they were asked now who knows maybe we'll edit them back into the main body of the stuff (laughs) um one is like a thing which i'm always intrigued by and that we uh me and ali and others in our group will often like discuss with groups is like basically why do you do the things that you do like why do you choose the tactics that you choose in like whatever struggle you're a part of and obviously like the the history of your group is very like strikes based um so the question that i wonder is like what do you see as the value of like strikes as a tactic because you said even though you've said that like you're doing less of them now maybe because covid and things like that than you were previously like it does sound like you are still like doing strikes and strike like events and things like that so like was it what is it that you see as the benefit of like strikes versus something else that you could be doing some of those other things you may also be doing but like why strikes I, yeah i just i just think it kind of like spreads the word a little bit more like if you're not at school and you have to tell your teachers and you have to tell your friends why you're not at school um then I don't know it, it gets the message out like if you just went to a protest at the weekend they no one, no one would know about it so much whereas if that's it's like another form of getting people to know know about the event know about the protest it sort of like spreads it a bit um and also I think it's quite exciting to sort of to strike I think that's one of the allures of it really is that you're sort of skipping school but in a good way um and it's still kind of educational as well because there's a lot of learning and sort of political engagement you do at a strike so 
Um, that's quite cool. And I think I think it's, it's, it feels a little bit rebellious, doesn't it? That's why kids like it. Sort of have to go against the head teacher and stuff, get into trouble. Um, that's also one of the criticisms because, like, if you're a kid that gets into trouble a lot, which often is disproportionately like black and brown people because of like um, into you know, structural racism and all that, um, it, that means that the strikes are inaccessible to a lot of people. So um, it's 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 a very it's a very um, strong tactic I think strikes it's got a lot of very good pros very good things about it and a lot of very bad things about it as well um so yeah it's a bit of a tricky one um yeah we've we've been kind of there's been discussions recently about uh, like strikes and stuff so we felt for our most recent one that we would do it later in the day so previously this so this was like our first proper strike um post-covid and pre-COVID, they used to start about 11, 10 or 11, mainly 11. And then we we decided to do it from three till six this time, so three in the afternoon. And that was to reflect the, the kind of loss of um, education through COVID lockdowns. So we've been, we decided to do them later to make them more accessible and feel like more people can attend them. Um, so we do think they're effective, but that doesn't mean that they, they can't be modified and it's part of this whole wider movement of the Fridays for Future thing, which is where it's all stemmed from. Yeah, I think, and I think that's really good, right? Like, as in, it's important to both, like, it's important sometimes to have, like, consistency so people can, like, practice things and get better at them. And it's important to, like, innovate and change stuff up and things like that when it feels necessary to. And I think, I guess it goes back to the chat that you were saying before around, like, how each like every tactics got a downside right and that's why it's important to do a lot of different types of tactics because then like the people that find one less accessible can maybe get more involved in another one and things like that um great thank you um i could just keep chatting indefinitely but at, at some point some point we've probably got to end yeah i guess i had one more question which was you mentioned uh, like I uh, used a term which I wouldn't have expected you to use which is why I want to ask about it like you talked about like a need to do like um think more about like safeguarding and stuff and I think of I work in a charity and I think of like people talking about safeguarding it's quite like a like, quite like a formal term um and I think it's really interesting because you're talking a little bit it sounded like there's you're concerned about like the power dynamics that could come into play in your group when you've got like maybe like 20 year olds working with 15 year olds and like the kind of like issues that can bring up and the kind of like risks that can come with that kind of work and I'm just wondering if like you could just speak a little bit more about like what you what's your kind of thinking at in terms of like how you're gonna negotiate those like potential power imbalances which are like one of I imagine a form of a lot of different power imbalances that could exist in your group like what are you thinking about them in terms of how to safeguard or whatever um, yeah, so basically, I don't know, now our math might kind of see a different perspective from this, but um, on an individual level, I've come from um, like kind of what started my action in like the climate movement was from like courses or like funded programs, which are more formal. And I have, I'll say a mentor, uh, a lady that I work with, she's from the National Youth Agency and she runs one of the kind of projects that I've participated in. And um, so these have been, like, I've been doing this alongside Youth for Climate Leads. So what I saw was like a visible difference in kind of the media content forms, the parental consent forms, like the safeguarding documents I'd receive for this other project compared to like Youth for Climate Leads. And I think, you know, I watched, um, not like a lecture or a panel discussion, um, earlier this year about kind of Extinction Rebellion and activism's kind of interaction with youth and especially going from kind of more educational contexts where you have to fill out a form, you know, to walk across the road, whereas to climate movements where you've got 13 year olds like doing roadblocks, I think it's kind of a shocking thing and you have to kind of, from my perspective, it was definitely something new that I saw and kind of like this big difference, even though the actions that were going on all had the same motivation so for me I kind of raised this point um, 
earlier this year, kind of like mid-year. Um, and I think what come so we've kind of what we've changed and like working towards as a power dynamic thing is um, so we're creating like safeguarding documents, which um, there's of, there's so many resources online and costs about safeguarding. So there's outline like the interaction between groups. So we're going to create like a guideline document, which means let's say if we work with um, a group in Leeds, we'll send these across as kind of a formal perspective and for something to read through. So maybe it's going to outline that you need to be mindful of um, the nature of us being teenagers and you have to be mindful of the fact, you know, we're, a lot of us are in full-time education. So what our time dedication may be less than yours, but you need to be mindful of that we are still contributing as much as we can, um, resource-wise, stuff like that. And then kind of like an internal comms kind of like safeguarding is um, just having an kind of um, just having a set structure of kind of concept forms for media so outward communications and then concept forms which will be kind of age dependent none of it's decided but also like emergency contact details and having the space for like any members to pass on their concerns to a formal body because obviously there will be a safeguarding board in Leeds so we're creating documents kind of that outline this, emphasise this so if any severe incidents occur like the, we do have the capacity to pass them on and it is a safe space for young people and I think this also kind of really reinforces the idea that we want young people there just because a lot of us are like later teens now so it kind of shows that we're encouraging younger children and like early teens to get involved in a safe and kind of like with a more focus on welfare. Yeah, something Naomi was saying about um, talking with other groups just kind of reminded me of an interesting point about how much adults expect of you as a, a kid in activism. Like, um, I got involved, I, I was, I think I just turned 17, but I felt a lot younger than I do now. Um, but people expect, like, a lot of you. It's really weird. Like, um, like groups we've worked with Gal, but like they're great, but um, they kind of a lot of a lot of activists are either retired or kind of quite young, I think. And the retired people forget that you are just children. Um, that you get a lot of requests from loads of different groups to attend all their calls and um, sort of add perspectives and join their group and do do stuff with them. And it's just like, yeah, we've only just started thinking like, wait, maybe we should have some boundaries because like we can't do all this. It's been a problem we've had for like two years that we just keep taking on everything requests of us and you know we're literally kids that go to high school and stuff like I remember in in um college I got so like it was it was ridiculous really like school was second like activism was first thing I would flunk off to do these things that people were expecting of me um so yeah it's 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 quite an interesting power dynamic really um yeah <laughs> just wanted to add that in it's it's the activist the world of activism's a it's a it's an odd place yeah, and I think it's, and I think there is a tension, right? Because I think there are really bad, unhealthy norms that exist in a lot of like uh, um, activisty spaces around like really weird ideas of like work ethic and stuff like that, where people think that it's good and valuable to basically focus a hundred percent of your time on organizing stuff and not like have a life outside of that, not really see other friends, like not have other hobbies and things like that. And it, then just people get so drained and burnt out that then they have to give up and not do anything anymore because it's just so tiring. And I think it's, it's really telling of like an approach that people have where like the second that there's like a group of young people, people are like, ah, oh, you should also do things like we do and take on a million requests and like be really busy all the time and that kind of thing. Uh, I'm not sure that's one of the things that should be passed on and continued. <laughs> I think that work ethic should die. I think it's terrible. Um, Martha, looks like you've got a thing to say, and then maybe we can probably wrap up because we've we've taken a lot of your time as and don't want to take the piss, <laughs> given that we're talking about how much time things can take up. <laughs> Martha. Yeah, I definitely think there is sometimes such like an ethic within activist circles of that you like they're like you kind of take on this approach like I can change the world by myself mm. uh, and then you end up just taking on so much work and it just becomes ridiculous like I remember like um it must have been early 2020 and I was going to like three meetings a week all in different places and I was in year 11 
like I don't know what on earth I was thinking, but thank it's kind of thank God for that first lockdown because it just halted it and you just had to you had to stop because I think there was just I don't know why it just became this really sudden toxic work ethic of trying to take on everything and trying to change the world on an individual basis being like I can do this I can do that but you really can't and I think I think youth climate has become a lot healthier within like the last year following the COVID lockdowns of um, dispersing and not increasing responsibility in any one person I think it's become a lot better I think obviously there's still places like way to go but um, I think that it's kind of died down quite a lot sounds good that you're yeah a shame that you even as young people have to go through the same kind of uh activist ethic of overwork and burning out or like yeah going to all the meetings in all the different places but yeah it feels healthy to have like had that reflection and i feel like what you were saying there around like trying to change everything as an individual really isn't healthy and I think what was said before around like the way to change things is to come together as a group and I think that absolutely makes sense is like yeah being in a group thinking about how you can do things together in a healthy way is just feels so much more sustainable and so much more like healthy as the way to go um yeah just want to say thank you for speaking to us today it's been a real pleasure and one of the things I'll be taking from it is that if you want to change anything, go join a group. That could definitely be our tagline for our organization. So definitely, definitely supporting that. But yeah, uh, appreciating the time you've taken to speak to us. And yeah, it's been a real, real pleasure. So thanks. Thanks very much. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, thank, you. thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. Big thanks to Naomi, Nell and Martha from Leeds Youth for Climate for joining us today. You can follow them on Facebook, they are Leeds Youth for Climate. And on Twitter, they are Youth for Climate Leeds or at YLeedsUK. As always, big thanks to Klaus and Kareem Samara for letting us use their music as backing tracks and interludes. And if you want to find out more about Resist and Renew, we are at resistrenew.com. Find transcripts for all our episodes there. We're also on all the socials, and we've got a Patreon. So if you want to support the production of this podcast, you can do so there. Thanks for listening, and catch you next time.